All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles. We're going to turn to the book of Psalms tonight. So uh, the book of Psalm, and in particular, the 27th Psalm, the 27th Psalm. And I have preached on this uh, particular song, Psalm um, several times. But man, uh, every time I get into the book of Psalms, this one here uh, always uh, stands out and I get something different from it. And so tonight we're going to look at Psalm 27, the first uh, four verses. So the 27th Psalm and beginning in verse number one, the word of God says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, come upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should arise against me, and this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple." We're going to talk about David's confidence or the psalmist's confidence tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promises found in your word. And though, Lord God, many people make promises to us, many corporations make promises to us, many institutions also make promises. Lord God, only you can fulfill all the promises that you make. And Lord, we thank you that your guarantees are forever, Heavenly Father, And, um, Lord, in particular, when we think of our salvation, Lord God, once we accept it, once we accept the gift that you have offered to us, it can never be taken back. Uh, Lord, there is no fine print, and for that we are so thankful. And, Lord God, now I pray that you would just bless this time tonight, Father, that it would be a time that we draw closer to you, a time that we are encouraged in you and in your word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. We can see in this psalm here that David has completely put his confidence in God. And he says throughout that it has definitely paid off. You know, when you consider all the things that people put their confidence in every day, it's a wonder that we have such a hard time putting our trust in such a proven and unfailing commodity as God. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm about to purchase something or whenever I'm about to, to get something, one of the things that I like to do is look at the reviews and, and, um, and study the reviews. And, 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 and that kind of gives you confidence in that product that you get, but it doesn't mean it's going to be flawless. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have a problem with it. I have bought some five-star um, uh, products that when I got them, they became one star for whatever reason. And that is because there's no such thing as a perfect product. There's no such thing as, as perfect people, perfect individuals. I remember several years ago when the New England Patriots uh, flew through the, uh, the football season, went undefeated, and they came to the Super Bowl. And I remember hearing commentators say, well, how much are the Patriots going to win by? And of course, they won every game except the Super Bowl. So even the perfect teams are not perfect. So there's no such thing as perfection. But when it comes to our Savior, He is perfect. 
He always comes through. He's never broken a promise. Now, most of us, when we make a promise, we intend to keep that promise. But every single one of us has, ca- has had circumstances in our life that has caused us to break a promise. You know, when you call in sick, you have broken a promise to your work to be there that day. And, of course, they understand that. If you get sick, you get sick. You can't help that. It just it happens. And, and, and that's because of the imperfect world that we live in. And so none of us can say, I will never call in sick. Because every single one of us have had to at one time or another. And that is because of our lack of perfection. Now, um, if you are an employer or even if you're an employee, you have worked with people who you know, if they call in sick, they're truly sick. But then there's those other individuals where if they're not there, you wonder, gee, is this person really sick? Because um, you know their work ethic and 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 they have a reputation. Well, with our Savior... He always comes through. He's a proven commodity. From the beginning until now, uh, God has had 100% success rate when it comes to the promises that he has made to us. So why do we have such a hard time putting our faith and our trust in him, our confidence in him? I think of the things that we trust every day. I remember reading an article in Newsweek on the tragic, uh, uh, the tragic end of Egyptian Air's Flight 990. Some of you might remember this in 1999 when it happened. It, it just seemed really su- suspicious as it went slamming into the uh, Atlantic Ocean. And all 200 plus passengers died plus the crew members. I think it was a total of 217 people that died on that, on that plane. Well, I think about the 200 plus passengers that went on that plane, putting their faith and trust in the crew and in the aircraft itself. Well, as they investigated, they found out that it was actually the co-pilot who who intentionally caused that plane to go in and to slam in. As a matter of fact, by the time it hit the water, it was almost doing the, the speed of sound. And so that's not something that happens by accident. But I think of all those people that got on that plane and they were putting their faith and their trust. Now still, uh, as far as uh, safety goes when it comes to uh, uh, um, air travel, it's actually pretty good. As a matter of fact, they like to say that um, it's still the safest way to travel. Uh, However, when things break down in the air, there's no place to pull over. And, and so it's not a good thing. But we put our faith and trust in things like that every day. We put confidence in things and people that potentially can fail us and eventually will. I've heard individuals brag on certain automobile uh, manufacturers or certain makes. I'm going to tell you right now, I have no loyalty to any brand when it comes to automobiles. Because it's about every brand that I've had, and they've all been different They've all failed me at one time or another. I used to be a Ford guy, and now I'm just a any car that runs guy is what I am. As a matter of fact, I'll just I'll look at the reviews, and if it happens to be a Honda or it happens to be uh, a Dodge or it happens to be this, and, and, and I'll look at the price, and that's pretty much what's going to determine for me whether I'm going to buy it. 
I just am not a brand loyalist when it comes to those things. But I've heard people, boy, you gotta get a Chevy. And it's fu- what's really funny is, is when you watch them pushing that Chevy. Or I've gotta have a Ford. I've heard people tell me, about, you know, I've got a Dodge pickup. Say, so what determined you getting a Dodge pickup? Price, that's what determined it. Uh, I, I needed a, a pickup because I needed to haul some things and pull some things. And, and I went and looked at, uh, I looked at Chevy and I looked at Ford. And it just so happened that at the time, Dodge had all the rebates. And so it was about ten to $15,000 cheaper than getting a Ford or a Chevy. So guess what? I'm not a brand loyalist. I said, I'm getting a Dodge. And uh, but I've had people, friends tell me, oh, I would never drive that Dodge. Well, I want to tell you something. doesn't matter what you drive. Eventually, it's going to fail you. Eventually, it is because it's not perfect. Um, we'll put our faith and our trust in companies, our jobs, and to be laid off when the company or job fails. But when we put our faith and trust in God, He will never fail us. Our closest family members are even going to let us down. But our God will never let us down. In our portion of scripture, David shares with us the confidence that he has in God. Placing one's trust in God, it's a challenge that each and every one of us face. God's word is the instrument panel of life, like the radar and instruments on a flight plane. God is able to see and anticipate things that we cannot. Therefore, we ought to trust him. We ought to put our, uh, we ought to put our lives in his hands. And then and only then are we truly in good hands. If anyone knew trials, it was David who wrote this psalm. If anyone knew what it was to get out of the will of God, David did. At the time, uh, at, at, at the same time, few knew what it was to put one's confidence in God like David did. David's confidence did the following four things. And each one of these verses that we read represents something that David was able to do because he put his confidence in God. Look at verse number one of Psalms 27. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So the first thing that David's confidence in God helped him with was to overcome fear. And every single one of us have uh, experienced paralyzing fear, which is why God says, fear not. Well, put your trust in me. Don't be afraid uh, to go forward. As long as you go forward with me. Why did the children of Israel, the first generation after they came out of the wilderness and God took them to the, uh, God took them to the promised land and told them to go in? Why did they not go in? Because they were afraid. Because of fear. Because they saw the, the giants in the land, the cities in the land, the armies in the land. And then they looked at themselves and they said, we don't have the ability to do this. We don't have the money to do this. We don't have the organization to do this. Therefore, we can't do this. Who was their confidence in? Their confidence was in them and not in God. Many times you're going you're gonna to come up to things in your Christian life and you're going to say to yourself, I just can't get through this. Or I just can't overcome this. Don't let fear paralyze you. Because we can't. 
Always remember what Jesus told the disciples. With God, this is, or with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. The difference between a hero and a coward is that a coward is a coward because of fear, while a hero is a hero in spite of fear. Hey, heroes have fear also. They just overcome that fear. David, like all men, had a natural fear when facing the great giant, Goliath. But unlike the men who stood around him, David's confidence in God was greater than his fear of the giant. He said, I see that giant there. Well, aren't you afraid of a giant that's never lost a, never lost a battle? Well, of course I'm afraid of that giant. But I want to tell you something. That giant ought to be afraid of my God. And that's what David said. And that's what David said to that giant's face. Hey, the difference between one who tithes and one who doesn't is not that the one who tithes can afford it. The difference is that the one who tithes has confidence in God to provide for him or to provide for her. So confidence in God will allow one's spiritual life to flourish. Think about this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So whom shall I fear? Hey, my God overcame death. So what in the world, what in this world could possibly be greater than death? Well, there is nothing and my God's conquered it. And so therefore he can conquer any circumstance or any situation in my life. If the Lord is our light, he'll He'll chase away the darkness. John chapter 1, verse number 4 and 5. The Bible says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You notice darkness doesn't chase light away. It's light that chases darkness away. And darkness always, I'm sorry, light always overcomes the darkness. So no matter how dark the, the hour, God has promised that his light will still shine for those whose confidence is placed in him. Here is a Christian without confidence. He finds himself in a dark place. He's got the light in his hand, but he refuses to turn it on. Now, why would he if he refused to turn it on? Because he doesn't trust it. He doesn't think that it's going to help. The Christian whose confidence is in God, however, has the light. And when things get dark, rather than cower in the corner, he simply turns the light on. Because the light shines in darkness. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 12. Paul found himself in a pretty dark place. And he prayed that God would remove the darkness. And sometimes that's our mistake. We want God to remove the darkness from our life. But instead, what God wants to do is he wants to be the light in that darkness. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 12, after praying three times, Lord God, remove this darkness from my life. The Bible says that God said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. How do you know the light, whether the light works? 
if you never experience darkness. You know, um, you don't know that the headlights work on your Ford or on your Chevy or whatever car you drive. You, you would never know they work unless it gets dark at night uh, because that's when you need them. Psalm 23, verse number 3. As a matter of fact, we're in Psalm. Let's just, let's just turn over there. Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. Psalm 23, verse number 3. says, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Uh, also, Psalm 37, 25. I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. And so all these dark experiences, boy, the psalmist says, God's light shines through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For, uh, for thou art with me, thy, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Well, how would we know that if we never walked through the valley of the shadow of death? Well, God allows the darkness in our life at times so he can prove to us that he truly is the light. But a lot, of, a lot of times we flounder because we refuse to turn on that light. We refuse to allow God. Uh, instead, we shut him off and then we completely shut ourselves off. I've seen men in very dark times and have even been a man in a very dark time. Yet the, the light of the Lord still shines bright if we use it. I've seen the light shine on those ravaged by disease. I've heard the testimony of those who were down to their last dime, who were confident that God would come through for them. You know, maybe the darkness is financial darkness. Maybe it's a health situation. Maybe it's a marital problem. Regardless of the situation, don't turn your back on the light. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom Shall I fear? Many men and women, their confidence wasn't in the flesh, which will one day turn to dust, nor was it in money that can easily easily be taken away. Men like Job overcame fear because his confidence was in the light of his salvation and the strength of his life. Job 19.27, Job said, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. And I have to to believe that that's how Job felt. Notice his description here. Uh, And uh, though after my skin worms destroy this body, you realize that he had a disease that literally was eating his body from the outside in. He had sores on his body that the Bible says um, were driving him so crazy that he had to break pottery and use it to to scratch the sores on his his body. Um, He had to feel like worms literally were destroying his body. But he says, even if that's the case... Whom I shall see for myself, mine own eyes shall behold, not another, though my reins be consumed within me. I know that my Redeemer lives, he said. 
Paul said this, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. The psalmist says, Whom shall I fear? My confidence in God has helped me to overcome my fear. David, how in the world did you stand up to a nine-foot, nine-inch giant with nothing but stones and a sling? Well, my God helped me overcome my fear. My God is greater than a giant. He's greater than any problem that I will ever face. It would do us well to remember that, and I know it's easier said than done. I've stayed awake nights myself, fearing those giants, and then rebuking myself. Here you're doing exactly what God tells you not to do. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Hey, who's your light? Who's your salvation? If your light is your kids, if your light is your friends, if your light is your family, if your light is your possessions, the things we talked about this morning, the light is your pleasure, the light, your light is your playtime. Boy, I want to tell you, once those things get taken away, then darkness cannot be overcome. So David allowed God to overcome his fears. But the second thing found in verse number two, he says, when the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. He says, not, over, not only did my confidence in God help me overcome fears, my confidence in God helped me overcome foes. They helped me to overcome foes. The Bible says that all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. In other words, if, if you want to make enemies, just live for the Lord. You don't even have to be belligerent. As a matter of fact, God doesn't want us to be belligerent. He wants us to be kind. But just you taking a stand for Christ is going to make people mad. As a matter of fact, if you just take a stand for, for uh the institution of marriage, God's institution of marriage, you're going to make some great enemies. If you're going to take a stand, God's word says that he created them male and female in the beginning. Male and female created he them. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. That whole verse makes people angry. Boy, especially in today's world, God created the male and female, there are no Zeds or Zeds or, or, or theys or thems unless you're talking about hims and hers. And yet, that makes people mad. And you can be kind, but it, it, it makes enemies. And they want to destroy everything that is biblical, everything that is godly. Can I say this? They may have victory. They may get victories here and there over uh, us as individuals, but they'll never get the victory over God. We must notice that the words foes and enemies are both in the plural form. Not only will they be mighty that oppose us, they will also be many that oppose us. Uh, They will be mighty in that, boy, they've got the wealth, it seems like. They've got the money. 
We cannot be intimidated by their might. We can't be intimidated by their number. We still need to preach the word of God. Israel's inability to overcome fear kept them in the wilderness for 40 years. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 14 says, If ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. It's going, it, it happens. Hey, when fear isn't overcome, it hinders us from having victory over the foes because we won't stand up to the foes. We won't stand up for the word of God. Had David put his confidence in his size or ability, he never would have gone to battle Goliath. As a matter of fact, everyone tried to talk him out of it. His eldest brother said, David, you're just trying to show off. David said, no, I'm not really. I will go. If no one else will go, I'll go fight Goliath. Word got up to King Saul, and King Saul sat him down and said, you're just a boy. You're not big enough. You're not mighty enough. You're not experienced enough. The word that Saul used to describe uh, Goliath was champion. This man is a champion. This man, he is a soldier from his youth. He's never lost a fight. David, how many fights have you been in besides with the lions and the bears protecting your dad's sheep? Well, none. But the lions and the bears were what God was using to, uh, to prepare me to fight this giant. And... Though I'm not mighty, and I'm not old enough, and I'm not experienced enough, God's going to deliver this giant into my hands. I just know it. But first, he had to overcome the fear, so he'd be willing to face the foe. The foe, by the way, folks, is Satan. People are not our foes. Satan uses people... But they are not the foe. They are not the enemy. You realize people need the Lord. They need to, they need to uh, hear the gospel. And when those individuals, they repel the gospel, boy, they need to be prayed for, earnestly prayed for, because they are not the enemy. You know, it's interesting that Jesus never faith, never looked at those who crucified him as the enemy. It was always Satan that was the enemy. And when Jesus hung on the cross that those individuals had placed him on, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Boy, if we could have the same attitude that Jesus has. Instead, we get angry with people. We view people as the enemy. We say, well, that group over there, they're the enemy. And this group over here, they're the enemy. No, they're not the enemy. Satan's the enemy. Well, God will use them, and we understand that. But if we don't stand for the things of God and do it in a godly way, we'll never be able to win them. And so, overcoming our foes. Hey, when fear isn't overcome, it hinders us from having victory. It's nothing for a Christian to do like the army of Israel did in sitting back and watching David take all the risk and, and, and let David fight the fight. 
while everyone else sits back. And then when it looks like, hey, we could possibly win this. Remember what happened? David went out and everyone else hid. He slung the rock. He hit the, uh, he hit the, the giant in the forehead. He ran up. He chopped off the giant's head. And then all of a sudden, the rest of Israel wanted in on the fight. And, and uh, they won a mighty battle. But they let David go out and take all the risks. You know, sometimes as church members, we'll let the faithful ones go take all the risks. As they go out and do the visiting, as they go out and do the teaching, as they go out and do all the flyer hanging and and things of that nature. And and then we all rejoice, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all rejoice in the victories. But, you know, I think we all need to be in the fight. And I think that we all need to allow our fear to be overcome by the word of God. And we all need to face the foes. And many times the biggest foe is the one right within us. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. There's nothing to come into church and sitting in the pew while others take the risks by fighting the fight. Those Christians, however, are robbing themselves of victories that could be theirs. Overcome fear, overcome foes. Well, the third thing that David's confidence in God allowed him to overcome, found in verse number three. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. So in verse number three, which I think is one of the hardest things of all, David said that my confidence is in God helps me to overcome my feelings. It helps me to overcome my feelings. Look again, verse number three. Though an host should camp encamp against me. Notice he says, I'm not going to change my feelings because of my circumstances. Boy, his circumstances look pretty dire at the beginning of verse number three. A host, that means an entire army, has surrounded him. There's no escape. There's no way out. Well, maybe this God thing just doesn't work. Maybe I need to compromise. Maybe I need to change some things. That's what happens to people who are led by their feelings rather than being led by God. You know that a lot of times God's going to have us do things that are contrary to our feelings. He's going to tell us this is best for you when our heart when 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 our heart says that doesn't just doesn't feel right. That just doesn't seem like the right thing to do. But when you think about it, how often in life do we have to forsake our physical feelings? or our physical senses. There's a lot of times that if we just follow our senses, we're going to be in big trouble. I think one of the worst senses that God gave to us is the taste bud. (laughs) Because, just mark my word, if it tastes good, it's bad for you. If it tastes good, you probably shouldn't have it in your mouth. Just chew it and spit it out. You know, enjoy the flavor Enjoy the taste. Man, everything that tastes good, 
And I'm exaggerating a little, but it sure seems like that sometimes, doesn't it? Do you realize that the same, go, the, the same goes for your walk? Wait, uh, just because it feels good or, or just because it seems right doesn't necessarily mean it is. As a matter of fact, a lot of times that's an indicator that it's wrong. Now, the greatest illustration is the Bible illustration where Eve is being faced with that tree of knowledge of good and evil and Satan says, listen to your feelings. And so she looked at the tree. Feeling number one, she saw that it looked pretty, pretty good. It was appealing. Well, I'm not sure what she expected, but it was appealing. Feeling number two, it was good for food. Feeling number three, it tasted good. Feeling number four, I deserve it because if I eat it, I will have knowledge and experience. Boy, we hear that all the time. Don't knock it until you try it. Boy, once you do, you'll never want to be without it. But those are all feelings. The senses, we we ought to be more disciplined than that, particularly in our spiritual life. Because remember, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So if you listen to your heart like the world is constantly telling us to do, many times your heart is going to lead you in the wrong direction. That's where this has to be the final authority in my life. Many are all for the Lord and are faithful in service until circumstances arise like the one David describes in verse number 3. Oh my, there's a host and it's, it is surrounding me. These are not very good circumstances. The confidence once professed in the Lord is now shattered. The feelings have dictated the actions of the believer. Whenever David found himself in trouble... It was because he said within his heart or because he felt rather than listening to God. Feelings can be among our greatest foes, but confidence in God can give us the ability to overcome them. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse number 8. And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He'll not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Don't follow your feelings. Don't don't fear and don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged to the point that you give up. Being dismayed is the feelings factor. Don't be led by your feelings. Be led by your God. So not only... Did faith in God help David to overcome his fear and overcome his foes and overcome his feelings? Look at verse number four. This is, I think, another one. Uh, well, they're all important, but, but this is the cherry on top. Verse number four. One thing have I desired, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord 
all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. You know, as pastors, sometimes we have to beg people to be in church. You know, you shouldn't have to beg Christians who are living for the Lord and putting their faith and trust in the Lord. You shouldn't have to beg them to be in church. Because the Bible says, here's the result of putting your faith in God. You're going to overcome your fear. You're going to overcome your foe. You're going to overcome your, your feelings. And you're going to have this desire to fellowship. It's going to be an overwhelming desire. Why? Because, boy, when we're out there in the world, the world is not for us. I'm not being encouraged by the world. The world is not patting us on the back. The world is not exhorting us. The world is not an encouragement. I can't wait to get back to church where I can be exhorted. Which is why the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, because we need it all the more as we see that day approaching. Being confident in God means desiring to be in his house. David says, one thing have I desired. Man, foes have encompassed me. Foes have threatened me. These feelings are are constantly betraying me. I need to get back in the house of the Lord. It's the only thing for me. And so that's what I desire with all my heart. That's what I will seek after. And that is what I want. Desiring godly fellowship with God and with God's people. Being confident in God, it means desiring to be in His house. 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul writes to that young preacher, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. It's where I know I can go to hear the word of God. Psalm 122.1, the psalmist writes, Oh, I was glad when they said unto me, Let's go into the house of the Lord. Fellowship with God and fellowship with God's people. Is there evidence of confidence in God in your life? Overcoming fear overcoming foes, overcoming feelings, and desiring fellowship with God and His people. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and with every eye closed.